Welcome to the Irrelevant Podcast. I'm Nathan Jones with my co-host Alex Lewis. Back for our 40th episode here on the Irrelevant Podcast with Nate Harvey. Nate from Elite FTS. Um, basically just your equipment guru if you need any kind of strength equipment necessary out there in the world. It's the best company that produces the best strength equipment in the world. And Alex probably would agree with me, hands down. Um, Nate, thanks for coming on today, my man. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. like the intro. Yeah, well, I mean, your stuff is second to none. I, I scour the Facebook Marketplace worlds down here trying to find it. And anytime I see any kind of Elite FTS stuff, I instantly buy it. So I've got a <laughs> couple of the multi-grip bars in here. I need to get me a yoke bar, but I got a couple of those nice American Cambridge bars. They're freaking sweet. Yeah, the yoke bar is the, the, the go-to. That's, that's that's like my first recommendation for people. They're like, what bar should I get? And like, yoke. Yeah. That, <laughs> if you just like Nate thing. has it, you have to use it without the handles. It's not as effective with the handles. Yeah, stop pushing up on the handles, guys. Don't, <laughs> don't cheat. You know what I notice is people that don't know, they'll pull down and put themselves into fucking flexion. And they're like, oh, my neck hurts. And I'm like, quit fucking pulling on it. Yeah, I had a, I had a kid do that the other day. He was like, Man, my neck really hurts from these squats. And I'm like, because you look like a turtle trying to pull that bar over you. Like, stand up and hold on to the thing. What are we doing here? So, but so people people that don't squat with a yoke bar and then they uh they're like, why do you even use that yoke bar? Why don't you just let them use a barbell? Give them give them some quick benefits of using the yoke bar as opposed to just the the regular straight bar. Um, the first thing I like, especially with athletes, it's gonna save your shoulders. Um, people don't realize how how much having that straight bar on your back really over time will torque on your shoulders. Um, so like for athletes, overhead athletes, especially, I think it's great. Um, when I, my last four years coaching, I was lucky enough to have one on every rack that and a cambered bar. So like once our kids learned how to squat, they might see a straight bar once a month. Yeah. You yeah. know, um, outside of that, kind of like you alluded to, to get that kind of pushing forward. So we don't want people to get too rounded over, but, the fact that the bar is doing that will help you help you get stronger because it's trying to push you forward. So you got to fight back against it. Right. Um, you know, to kind of help that upper back musculature and stuff. So there's a huge, to me, there's a huge benefit there uh, for athletes too, because I can get stronger with less tonnage. You know, if I'm, if I'm a 500 pound squatter on a straight bar and I'm putting 500 pounds on my body every weekend and week out, that tonnage adds up over time. But if I can come in, you know, and stimulate the same muscles and still get the kids strong with 400 pounds on the bar every week over the, over time, that's going to help me out. You know what I mean? Help that, help that kid be healthier. I think I, that's, that's cool about a lot of our stuff. It's, you know, the bar, all the, with conjugate, I should even say to me, that's one of the huge advantages. You're if, if it's run right, you're going to be healthier longer. Yeah. You know? What would you say to people that I always have kids that are like, I think it's just because it's a comfort thing and they're so used to using the barbell for so long. They're like, barbell's easier. Barbell's easier to use. And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, theoretically, it, it would be easier to use. But this is going to make you better overall, kind of like what you're talking about. So what yeah. what specific, like you said, obviously, we know kind of how the bar works and manipulates itself and is kind of in that position to kind of keep that musculature upright. But what are some other benefits that you think besides the shoulder health, besides, I mean, why would someone want to buy that bar and put it in a, like a high school weight room? Like I, I see a lot of high school weight rooms switching to them, but there's still a lot of traditional just straight bars out there. And that's all they do. It's uh, it's weird. Um, it, it does tend to pitch you forward, 
But I've also seen with some longer, kind of lankier athletes, it actually helps them learn how to squat early on. Like I've had luck with basketball players and swimmers with it. And I'm not sure if it's because they can just kind of let it sit and they don't have to think about the upper back tightness and stuff. Right. It just kind of sits on them and they can think about the other mechanics and learning how to squat. I have seen that quite a bit. It's almost easier because there's less for them to think about to learn how to squat. Yeah. Um, you know, and it works great for lunges and reverse lunges and, you know, hopefully not the, hopefully not the, the one rep max reverse lunge <laughs> smash my knee off the back. We can get into that later. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just like super versatile. You can do a ton of stuff with it. Zercher I do. carries, Zercher lunge. I love, you know. I love the reverse lunges, like as an accessory or any kind of lunge variation with the SSB. Cause kids are so bad with a straight bar trying to do reverse lunges and they're just all over the place. And it's like, okay, well, if I can just put my hands here, they're way better off giving them those kind of lunge variations. So yeah, yeah. I, I like that. So I do not, I agree with you. I hate seeing the whole smash the back knee down onto the ground, trying to go for the ego reverse lunge, whatever you want to call it, or the hold on to the handles, load as much as you possibly can with the, the yoke bars and do, I, I get so tired of seeing that stuff. You don't it's like Hatfield squats. Is that what you're saying? You're literally calling out Dr. Hatfield right now. No, say, the, re the reverse lunge ones, the reverse lunge ones. Have you oh, seen people uh, do those? Okay. The reverse They'll, lunge. It's yeah, still they, a Hatfield variation. Yeah, but they're like, they like load like 700, 800 pounds on there, hold on to the handles and just like bang their knee on the ground when they do the reverse lunge or whatever. And it's just hard to watch. I'm like, eh, they're not the best. Probably Nick, not. Do you find that people, speaking of upper back tightness, on that one, I feel like people don't do it at all because it's sitting on their shoulders, right? Like where the barbell, you have to create that platform. Whereas it seems like with the safety bar, if you don't tell them, like, you still got to pull your shoulders back, they'll just loop. And then it really turtle shells, right? Yes. Yeah. So if you don't, if you don't coach them correctly, it will dump them over. We had a, we had a wrestler who was, shout out to the mule. Um, kid was just <laughs> brute, brute freaking strong. Like I, I used to pick on him. I'd be like, dude, when you're done wrestling, I'm sending you to the fucking West side because you'll love it. Like he would just train like a maniac and the what, and he would, you know, come in and the one day he maxed out with it and his chin was literally, as soon as he went to push up on it, his chin went on literally on his chest. And it was like <laughs> a five second fight for him to come up and he stood up with it and he kind of came out like all dizzy and shit, you know? So yeah, if you don't, and at that, at that point, I'm like, dude, you got to lock in your up. <laughs> it doesn't have to be that hard. <laughs> but yeah, you got to, it's going to pitch you forward. So you got to, you got to oh, yeah. know what's coming. It'll fold you real quick. Like I've seen some bad videos of people doing seated good mornings with that thing before too. Like I'm like, yeah. oh, you better get it locked in if you don't. Cause I've seen people just squish themselves on seated good mornings. I'm like you guys are stupid. What are we doing here? Yeah. But. You know, I'm surprised. I'm surprised. Maybe this happens and we don't hear about it. I'm surprised there hasn't been more like groin or hamstring tears on some of those really heavy ass single leg stuff people are doing. Yeah. With it, like I don't know, man. I just maybe I'm just getting old and I can't handle that stuff anymore. But I watch some of those videos. And I'm like, that just I don't know. <laughs> Looks like trouble to me. Why? Why is that, Nate? Get, get, give, give the people and tell them why. Why you don't like that so much? Like, why is that such a? Because you see it a lot, especially I see it a lot in baseball populations. Because it's a specific carryover to the baseball world, and I'm like, it's not. But anyway, what what are some of your your qualms about it? Well, just like if I have a kid who's a 400 pound squatter, and now I've got 
300 or I'm creeping up to three and a half or whatever, you know, you see some of these guys four on one leg. And that's the thing. A lot of those kids doing that movement don't have the ability to load their glute on that exercise, especially that heavy. Right. And what happens and I hear them getting into neurological stuff and I, I harp on it all the time and I kind of make fun of it a little bit. It's overused. <laughs> but anyway, it's like that kid can't use his glute the way he's supposed to on that movement. And they have, you know, this adductor inner hamstring area that's going to take over. And it's, I think it's probably holding on for dear life during this movement. And I just, I just see that thing grabbing on and cramping up and like, you know, because they, and that's, that's my bitch about like, uh, quarter squats or jump squats too. Most of the kids that do those don't have like the mind to glute connection to actually use their glutes and hamstrings for that movement. So what happens is on those, their psoas grabs on to protect their back and they start locking up and it starts pulling on their back and they end up with back problems because their back gets loaded up because they can't use their glutes. Right. To me, like that single leg, one rep max, and not to say you couldn't do one rep max, but if the kid's a 300-pound squatter, maybe we cut it at 200, you know, sure. don't, don't overload it so much because it just, to me, it seems like something something bad's going to happen. I just, I just, I see, I, all I can think of is like that adductor just. Hey. Yeah. I'm like, I'll play devil's advocate and say you should not do any single leg max effort stuff. Like, what is the point? Like, if you're trying to really maximal put effort into something, the better base you have, the more effort you're going to be able to put through it. So. Like you can go heavy, but I don't, what would be, I don't get it. I would like single leg stuff seems like good accessory work. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah, that's, I would agree. That's, yeah. <clears throat> so Nate, before you were selling equipment, you mentioned you were coaching, you got to coach at Buffalo, right? With Buddy Morris mm -hmm. and all that stuff. I got to know, did you get to coach Khalil Mac or no? Um, A little bit. I was, uh, so when he came in, I was um, an assistant with football. So I was there for like his freshman year a little bit. Um, and then from there on, we had a new head football guy come in and I moved over to Olympic stuff. So I really didn't, I didn't work with him too much. You know what I mean? He was, he was a freak. Yeah. <laughs> when, when you say Olympic stuff, is that like throwing and stuff and track or yeah. Like so Olympic like all, lifting? all sports, but football, basically anything you'll see in the Olympics. Yeah. Nice. How'd you yeah, like doing that so, for the, the college? Honestly, I li like, I liked it. It was a good move. For me, like kind of at, at, at that point, um, all the hype and all the kind of crazy shit that goes in with college football now was kind of starting at that point. And it was kind of turned me off to even, you know, working with football. And I was never, I never got into this to work with football. Like I was always like, just give me kids that want to work hard. Like I don't care if I coach the chess team, if they want to come in and get better and work on things, that's, that's what I'm down with. You know what I mean? So I don't, I think a lot of people get into it and they're like, oh, I'm going to do football and this and that. I wasn't like that. So he was, you know, we had a new guy come in, director of football, and he was like, hey, we can put you over here and, you know, maybe free up a little of your time. Because I had a pretty big load at that time. Uh, I was like, yeah, man, that's that's perfectly cool with me, you know. So I just I went over there and did my thing and didn't have to, you know, I'm kind of I'm kind of old school. Like, let's come in and train and get our shit done. We don't have to celebrate every little thing you do and have the room going crazy and shirts being ripped off and, and all this. You know, <laughs> so like I said, I'm old. Thing. You got to earn it, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Why do 
Let's go ahead. celebrate your victories, saying. yes, but let's not overdo it on, hey, you freaking wiped your butt today. Everybody jump and scream. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, being social, able to uh, media work stuff. with someone like Buddy Morris, what were like some of the best, biggest takeaways that you got being able to share like weight room with that guy? Um, one of the probably the best thing he told me was um, every set rep exercise you put in your program, you need to be able to justify. Like, don't just throw things in because you saw it here or you think it's cool. Or, and a lot of times, if you are going to add something in, you got to take something out. Because otherwise, you know, there's so much stuff out there. If you don't do that, you're going to have a – your workout's going to be three hours long, you know. And just how how the athletes manage their stress and stuff, he was very cognizant of that. So, yeah, that was probably – but but there's a ton of stuff, you know. And then his assistants, we had Paul Childress, um, Ryan Groneman, Julia Anto. Um, Paul and Julia were with Elite at the time, you know, when I think Elite probably had more influence on the industry on the coaching side at that point. Um, you know, so I had great people, you know, and the biggest thing, like all those guys taught me was how important like on the floor coaching is like just doing the basic movements, correct, make sure they're right. Coach the hell out of them. And it's going to, that's to, to me, that's where your dynamic correspondence or carryover to the field happens. Make sure they do things right. Make sure they learn how to accelerate the weight, like push hard on the bar, be explosive all the rest of the stuff will really kind of take care of itself. But yeah, I was, I was super lucky to come in at the time I did and, you know, learn under the, the people that I did early on. So were they kind yeah, it was, of, it was cool. Were they kind of, what kind of programs were they kind of running at the time or what kind of like methods were they using? I mean, was it linear approach? Was it conjugate style already? Or did you kind of move over into that after you'd kind of found Dave Tate's some of his stuff or was it kind of, how did that kind of dynamic come together as far as what you guys were training and how you were training there? So it was, um, this was in like 07 and I had started like studying conjugate probably 99, 2000 when I was still in school playing. Um, so I was onto it and I was like, yeah, this, cause I did it. And I was like, holy shit, I feel really good right now. Yeah. Um, so I had studied it and then I got over there, um, Julia was big into the conjugate. She was also doing a lot of tier stuff at the time with her athletes. Um, I think she kind of felt they weren't really ready for conjugate. Um, Paul was pretty heavily conjugate. He was probably the closest to like a West quote unquote, West side style conjugate. Um, Buddy was doing like a conjugate, but he kind of, he would plug in like some triphasic stuff for the max effort work. So he had kind of like a hybrid, um, but they were all pretty close, you know, pretty close to like a basic conjugate template, template along the way, you know, and that's, you know, so it was, it was cool. Like I'd studied it for 10 years. I followed buddy on elite back when he was coach X before I got there. And then um, it was funny. I took my final internship there because I, the guy who was there before buddy, I had heard of him and knew that kind of his background and stuff. I'm like, this is along the lines of what I like. I'm going to try to get this in, got the internship. So I was pumped. You know, and then like two weeks before I started, they said he was leaving. Uh, and I'm like, oh, like we had moved. We actually like moved to Buffalo so I could go to grad school up here and stuff. And I was like, oh, shit, what's what's going on now? And then like a couple of weeks later, they said Buddy was coming in. So it really, you know, worked out really, really well. Wow. Yeah. From one from one to the other. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It worked out pretty well. So, so yeah, it was everybody ahead. was kind of doing some sort of conjugate. 
So you yeah. said that um, you kind of in your book, you talk about Mike Allstott and how you kind of learned and saw some of the things that Mike Allstott was doing. So was that I mean, did that how you first kind of stumbled upon conjugate was watching him train and then kind of learning and trying to figure out more about what he was doing? Yeah, and didn't you say this is episode forty at the beginning? Yeah, yeah, perfect. Ironic, right? Look ah, at that. Yeah. Matrix, dude. That guy Matrix was a real. That guy was a <laughs> banger of an athlete. Banger of an athlete. Yeah, I had a bit of a man crush on him, you know, being a fullback and stuff. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. I was just, you know, like watching it, and that's kind of how I stumbled onto. It. I was like, "What is this guy doing in the weight room?" You know, if I if I do his stuff, I'll I'll be able to play like that that's not how it works unfortunately <laughs> um but yeah that was kind of how i found an article where he was using chains and stuff and then just you know kind of went down the rabbit hole from there i found a first article i found was dave's periodization bible part one which you know and then the two goes into conjugate and then i found an article by louie too and that was kind of you know how it all started yeah yeah when did they kind of give you the reins at buffalo and or did they just I mean, when did you get to start really incorporating things that you felt you could make changes in or what did you kind of implement there that they they weren't already doing or where did you feel like you late, left your mark there kind of at Buffalo? Um, so it's like I started out part-time. I had, I think, two teams. I had volleyball and then soccer maybe. So it was like, like you know, I came in low-level assistant. They give you a couple teams. They kind of let me do what I want. I was I was lucky to to be under good people. Like I was working part working for like half pay at school, right. you know, and they let me go work another job. So I had really good people. They let me do what I wanted. Um, you know, and things, things went well. And then, you know, people left and I took on more responsibility and stuff. So as I got more teams, more teams switched over to the way we were training and, you know, the kids, the kids always, always got good feedback from the athletes. You know, to me, that's what was most important. They were feeling good. Aches and pains were going away, you know, and then I watch them play and stuff. And to me, that's that's kind of my indicator. Do they look like they're playing better? Are they moving better? Do they cut better? Are they, you know, it should look, their sport should just look easier as you watch them move and stuff, you know? So those are like the key indicators and it just kind of repeated. And then we started, you know, coaches would say stuff, hey, guys are looking good. You know, I don't know what you're doing. And, you know, to me, it was just a system. I was just taking this thing and plugging it in for the kids and it's working. And then, you know, usually like four weeks in, the trainers would come down when you get a new team. You know, hey, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm not having to work on so-and-so's knees as much. Their backs are feeling better. So, you know, that's kind of how it kind of how it grew. And then my last four years there, I, w- I got to be the, the director of uh, Olympic sports. So I was kind of oversaw everything. Um so, yeah, it, it, it went real well. You know, like I said, it, people started winning more and, and, the, and that goes and the injury started coming down. And it was just, you know, and we we had good kids, you know, we had good kids. And yeah. as much as I bag on sport coaches, 99 <laughs> percent of my coaches that I worked with were were pretty good. You know that's, what I mean? That's huge, though. That dynamic and that relationship to get them to buy into what you're doing and you them seeing the carryover from what you're doing to help them is huge for sure. Do you think that there's a good dynamic between strength coaches and like sport coaches in today's society? It seems like there's just a lot of bashing that goes on back and forth. It's like it's either the, you know, one's blaming the other, or the other's blaming, you know. Do you think that the dynamic has changed a lot since you've been around in in that area? I think it's I think it's like I just I think it's like anything else. I think most of it's pretty good. 
but we get that 10% that stuck and that's what we focus on. Right. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, yeah, for the most part, it's probably pretty good, but I think there's, uh, the ones that don't go well, they, cause we're all competitive and we want every, you know, we want everybody to do well and we want everything to go right. The ones that don't work out, piss us off. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. So it's, so that's, it's like, that's what we focus on, you know? And like, part of the, I used to do that sport coaches thing. And like a big part of, or a big reason I kind of started that was one of my buddies who's a strength coach. He was like, I don't want to go to these conferences because all anybody, you know, all anybody talks about is they bitch about their administrator. They bitch about their sport coach or they bitch about their athletes. He's like, I don't want to go. Right. So I was like, well, I'll start, you know, I've had some pretty uh, entertaining meetings with some of these coaches that didn't want to do shit, you know, or whatever that didn't work out so well. So, you know, and it, when I did them, like I would just get a bunch of messages like, dude, I had the same meeting last week. You know what I mean? So everybody was going through the same thing. So I was like, yeah, we'll, we'll rehash some of those, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, and it's funny you talk about that dynamic too. Like you get that with like the private sector co- performance coaches in the college. <laughs> um, I don't know. In my experience, that hasn't been real good. Um, and I think like part of that on part of my past experiences with that, the ones that I was dealing with, I didn't feel the athletes were getting what they should have. Right. So if a kid's not, if a kid's getting fucked over, I'm going to call, you know what I mean? Like I have a very high standard of training and what's going on in the weight room. So if I think you're, I think you're doing too many fucking agilities and all the kids knees hurt, I'm going to say it. You know, but I think, but coming out in the private sector and being out here now, I think there's a lot, lot more quality coaches in the private sector than maybe were in the past or what I heard people talk about. Like I'm getting, I'm seeing a lot of good stuff out in the private sector now that I'm out of the collegiate a little bit. Right. So, right. It's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of dynamics, you know, you got, you got to work with a lot of people. Yeah. Was it your experience at Buffalo that helped you come up with the conjugate use stuff, Nate? Is that where you kind of got that idea and started making the book? Yeah. So like, um, it's probably, I don't know, four years before I even started it, you know, we were starting to see a lot of success with a lot of our kids and getting a lot of positive feedback. (laughs) We should just put a manual together of the stuff we're doing, kind of put it out. And cause I was, at that point I was starting to go out and speak a little bit too. And I came back like the first week and I, uh, I told my assistant, I'm like, dude, like a lot of people don't have this basic information that we kind of are taking for granted. Cause we were around some really good people early on. I'm like, a lot of people don't know this stuff. So I was, like, I was just trying to get some information out. You know what I mean? Um, and then I actually, I didn't get renewed or I got fired or whatever. And that kind of lit a fire under my ass. I'm like, all right, like, it's time to get this fucking thing done. You know, we'll, we'll stop messing around with this and get it done and get it out there for people to kind of check out. So that's kind of how, yeah, I, I've been thinking about it for a long time, you know, and then I was like, all right, let's, let's put this together and get it out there. So that's kind of how it all, all came together. And then was it because of the conjugate you book that you were able to go into doing stuff like the Waverly project, like you talked about last year at the seminar? Cause I, it sounds like that kind of just kind of grew into maybe something like that. Is that what happened? Yeah. Yeah. So, and you know, the the coaches at Waverly had their weight room set up with us before I had got there a few years ago. Um, 
and their coach, their head football coach, um, he had been a follower of elite for a long time, you know, and then he, like, I got on with elite started doing articles and stuff a couple years before that. And he had read some of the stuff and he's like, this is a little more, he kind of drifted away from the conjugate stuff. Um, you know, and I think things weren't going great for them. And he's like, let's get back to kind of what I know and what I'm familiar with. And yeah, that's kind of really, you know, how kind of how that went. And then kind of after I wrote the book, um, I have a little bit of a teaching background. Um, I was like, teachers and coaches could use this for like a manual, like going down through all the movement cues and stuff. You know, a lot of times in phys ed now, you're supposed to do uh, written tests or whatever for your for your kids. Like all you got to do is go in there and pull out the coaching cues for each movement that you teach them. Like you can do five movements in a unit and your coaching cues can be your test for the kids. They have to pick the right answer. And it can also be like your performance rubric. Oh, when they squat, their knees open up, their button goes back, those type of things. Um, so yeah, it was kind of later on. I was like, we could get this out as like a system, you know, and, and like my, my overall goal with that is to just help, help more people have better coaching. Cause I didn't have it in high school. Right. I had to go read muscle and fitness and, you know, not that those things are bad, but try to put together stuff with all that and try to, you know, come up with something. So I'm trying to get out and try to help more people. So yeah, that's kind of how that all went. We actually, you know, I was talk too soon, but I think we might have a one here in Buffalo that kind of be doing the same thing. So that's, oh, that's nice. good. Nice. Would yeah, that be the yeah. second one of those that you've had then is Waverly still the only one that you've been able to do that with through elite FTS? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. On a, yeah. Yep. So why don't you, uh, I'm sure I should, I probably should have had you explain like, what is the Waverly project? Cause when you talked about it last year, I was very fascinated. I thought that was like a super cool idea that not only can you help outfit these places, with the correct equipment to get them to have better results, you can actually come in and give them a system to follow and get them to actually understand how it works and stuff like that. Yeah. So it was um, like when I first started with elite, uh, I told Matt who offered me the job, he's like, we might have a spot opening. Like I was out of coaching for a couple months at this point, had no idea what the fuck I was going to do. He goes, we might have a spot opening up. Would you be interested? And without hesitation, I was like, fuck yeah. And then I go, well, wait, what is it? He goes, well, I want to bring on another sales guy. And I'm like, dude, I'm not a salesman. (laughs) (laughs) I'm totally in, but I don't know, dude. (laughs) Like, I might need a little help. He goes, don't worry about it. Just come in, whatever. So kind of thinking about the process. And like, I was thinking about myself growing up. I didn't have a weight room, didn't have a weight coach. I had to do all this shit on my own. I was like, it would be really cool to help schools out, get good equipment, you know, the, the kids get excited about, they see their logos on, they come in, you know what I mean? Like, so we can get them excited about, and then also like just with elite's background and stuff, maybe we can get a program going where we, cause when I was coming up in high school, bigger, faster, stronger was the big thing, which, you know, is a good base level program and stuff. But I used to see all their articles and kind of, I was like, why aren't like, yeah, they come in and show the lifts and stuff, but, if we're going to help these kids, they have to have better coaching. And it's, it's really not the coaches fault in the high schools. They just, they really don't have like the resources, right? You know? So I'm like, if we can, like, how can we help more people? So if we can go in and coach the coaches, how to coach, they'll know what to do in the weight room and their kids will understand things and their performance will go up and get all these things going on. So, you know, that was kind of, kind of how that all started. I was like, if we can, you know, I can use this equipment stuff to get in and help coaches do a better job. We're going to help more athletes. So that was 
that was kind of my thought process behind the, the whole thing. That's brilliant. Now, how long have you been doing the Waverly Project? Has it been long enough that you've seen like someone go from freshman year to senior year following the system and see what kind of progress they make? Uh, no, I think this year we'll have that. Okay. So not, yeah, we haven't quite, it hasn't quite been four years. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Have so, you seen it grow well, over time? Have you had more kids like that want to get interested into that at that specific school from before you, you were able to help them? Um, it's hard to tell if we have like, like Waverly has a pretty good culture and a good football history. So like, you know, most of the, it's, it's a good situation. It's not like they were, had nobody coming in the weight room. Like they've always had a, they have a pretty good tradition and the kids do a pretty good job. And, you know, like we had a group of um, eighth graders who are now sophomores. And I remember seeing them when they were eighth graders, they'd come in as a, as a separate group after school and they were coaching each other on how to do the lifts and stuff. And I told their coach, I was like, this group of kids is going to be pretty good. Right. Like, cause I could see them coaching each other and stuff. And he's like, yeah, they're a really good group. They're competitive. They, you know what I mean? So they'll be, actually they'll be juniors next year. So there, you know, there, those kids are, that's kind of what you see there for the most part, you can always do a better job. You can always have more kids in, you can always have kids pushing harder. Um, but the, the culture there is pretty good. You know, the coaches are all on board and that's, that's what's made it work is the coaches listen to what I say and they, they actually train themselves too. hint, hint coaches, you should train. Um, so they under, you know, they understand when a kid's knees are collapsing or they look like dog shit or they know how to kind of coach the kid up and fix them. So that's kind of how the whole system's set up. Like I'll come in and coach the coaches for a week or a couple of days or whatever it is. And then I'm out for a month. I write the programs while I'm not there, but the coaches have to implement everything. And then when I come back next month, we kind of reassess where they're at and then we go for the next four weeks. And, you know, that's how I like, right from the start, I knew this would work. I, before I started it, I kind of questioned would it work or not? Cause I like, I'm a big believer of the strength coach being in there and helping the kids and how important the coaching is in the weight room. But once we went for a month or two, I'm like, this will work because these guys are coaching the kids, you know, because, because you go in and you see the kids are technically pretty sound. You know, you, you see some stuff on the internet that people post and you're like, why did you, the kid looks like shit. Why did you put that up? <laughs> you know, but most, most of the, even, even they have um, uh, a class where just even a kid who's not an athlete can take a weightlifting class. And they, those kids don't train terribly hard. Like, you know, they're not going to come in and headbutt the bar and, <laughs> scream at each other <laughs> but really the majority of the class they look really technically sound like 75 percent of the kids in the class know how to bench rest they know how to squat they can do a reverse lunge you know so to me that's pretty freaking cool you know did you they, yeah, they, they do a good job really that's what it comes down to go ahead alex uh, i was gonna say this would sounds like it was one of those scenarios where being optimal was something that actually was beneficial because they already had a really good foundation, right? So you had to take and fine tune it to the point where you could get the most out of what they were already doing. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It really is, you know, like <clears throat> for me coming in and do it was like an ideal situation. You know what I mean? The coaches are on board, they're supporting, the kids are pretty technically sound. So we can, 
like it's we can like train them like i can give them some cool shit to do yeah. and they'll do it you know what i mean and um the head coach is a meathead the school board president's a meathead like the school board he's not the president anymore but he's on the school board the guy who kind of set a lot of this up like he'll call and just talk training for an hour like he's a training nerd you know what i mean so they're all into it and it's yeah it's been it's been really cool did you just really so how much training training change did you have to make within what they were already doing does it was it like a linear to a conjugate or did you kind of go straight from what you were doing at conjugate like off the conjugate you book or how much did you actually have to implement or, or change we didn't have to change much they were like pretty much conjugate you know they were box squatting and doing all those things i think just um having a little more structure and then like some of the like fine tuning some of the coaching gotcha. really helped them gotcha. you know what i mean yep so we did we didn't have to change a ton of stuff nice they were they were they were somewhat familiar with a lot of it so it was, it was yeah. an easy transition that's a that's a dream scenario that's pretty cool yeah <laughs> dude i it's funny like i grew up in a really small town um, I loved football from probably sixth grade. You know, that was my thing. We didn't have a lot of resources. Like my junior year, when I showed up for football practice, we had 11 guys show up. So coach sent us <laughs> home. He said, go drive around and get your friends to come play football. <laughs> Bring a friend. So my, <laughs> <laughs> or seven. I had to bri <laughs> yeah. We're bribing people. You That's know what I'm awesome. <clears throat> so the first time I went down to Waverly, they were doing like not not practices, but like summer workouts. And it's like a college. Like there's a position coach. They're coaching the kids how to do shit. You know what I mean? Wow. Um, I've, and I, I've told the football coach, like, dude, I should have grown up here. Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like this would have been my freaking dream. But yeah, it's it's Ohio sports are a little different. You know, Texas, <laughs> Ohio, Florida. Yep. yep. It's a little different out there. That's what I grew up with. No weight room. I didn't touch a weight until I got to college. <laughs> So, I mean, I, the whole small town experience, I totally understand the lack of resource thing. I didn't know what a barbell was until I got to college hardly. So right. I totally get that. What, what do you think is, um, is it more programming that's missing, um, with a lot of those high schoolers, like high school programs, like high school football programs, or is it just the football coach is trying to do too much or the sport coach is trying to do too much and they kind of just lackadaisically throw a program out there. What do you think's missing from like a good high school program? Is it just, they need to hire someone or hire a strength coach? What do you think's the missing link at a lot of these schools that don't get it? I think they do need to hire somebody. Um, I think they're doing their best, Yeah, but they just don't, they don't, you know, just like, I don't, I don't know what offense this school should run. Right. You know what I mean? I don't know. I, Depending on their personnel and the kids they have, I have no idea. You know, and I played football. You know what I mean? That's all. That's all I did. Like, that's all I cared about in high school. I played, you know, played college, Division three. You know, but that, like that was my that was my thing. I don't know what fucking blocking scheme they should do. So it's kind of it's the same thing. You know, like they're a football coach. They just you know hand it over to somebody so there's less on your plate. Yeah. You know, I, I think it would yeah. just free them up as a coach more too. Like, Hey, I don't have to worry and stress about what we're doing in the weight room. I can focus and prepare on my team or the opponent. I just think it frees people up more to take less off their, but most football coaches want to take more on. It seems like they're like, just give me the weight room. I want to do that too. So I don't know if it's a control thing or a pride thing. Def or Definitely ego based. Yeah. Or it's just a mixture of both. Like, 
Nate, do you think with these college coaches, like most recently the Michigan one, getting actually paid for what they do and shining a light on how important they are, that that'll have like a trickle down effect, hopefully, in those either smaller schools in college or like even high school? I hope so. It should. You know, but you, I don't know. You, I think <laughs> I think it'll take so long. There's so so many smaller colleges and stuff, you know, that it's – I think it's going to take forever to, to kind of trickle down. But I, I wish it would, you know what I mean? It, the, 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 the value and the money, like a good strength coach can save an athletic department is, you know, there's well, a lot the of money that they can save. The, the Michigan one, they're yeah. like, this guy keeps our whole team together. Like, yeah, we're going to give him a million dollars a year. Yep. So he's the yeah, most important piece. Just dropping the bucket. Most important piece. So. Oh, yeah. That's like I learned about Nick Saban since he's been at Alabama. The amount he's increased enrollment is something like 13,000 students a year or something like that. So the, the $10 million or whatever a year they give him is like fucking nothing compared to the hundreds of millions they're making. Yeah. Like, ooh, that's a good point. It's too bad. It's And it's you see it everywhere with everything. It's short-sightedness. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They just, they see, oh, we got to, like you said, Nick Saban, $10 million. Yeah, but if we pay him $10 million, university is going to make the five times that. Well, five times they that brought profit. Dion to Boulder. They gave him $30 million for a year. One weekend, the city itself grossed $30 million because of him. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> and I, used, I used to knock on that guy because he was like too flashy and stuff when he played, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I, I like I I watch his documentary like I'm all in for you know yeah like how could you not want to play for that dude right and the way he uses his influence it's very fascinating like he understood influence before the social media game was even a thing and you're like this guy is masterful with this like holy yeah. shit yeah I agree yeah I love agree, it man. love him or hate him he can sell a crowd that's for sure yeah he's awesome I love Dion even though they went yeah. four and eight four and eight. Oh, but do you, do you know what everyone here is saying? Uh-uh. They they have the best improvement. That's true. Only, I mean, they do. After all the people that got new coaches, it is the most improvement. That's but a you only won game. one game. Let's be real here. Like, oh, three game improvement, right? Three game improvement. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Most of the places that hire new coaches, they either won like one game or did worse. Hey, really? You'll take yeah, it. Yeah, a lot of them. Yeah. I mean, I get Dang, it. Just that that's the saving grace at Boulder right now. They're oh. like, well, you know, three hundred percent improvement. <laughs> Like, hey, I love it. Whatever way you want to put it. Next year, they just got to. You exposed how bad your line was. It was game over. Six wins. They got to get to six. <laughs> then they'll get to eight. Then they'll get to 10. Just give him time. He'll get there. Take, it takes time, man. People yeah. don't understand that. <clears throat> you know, it, yeah. it usually, like if you got the right people, usually around three years or so, you'll see things. I mean, just, off. yeah, just look at Michigan. I mean, Harbaugh did a great job when he came in. They won some games, but they still weren't beating the top dogs in the conference. And then, you know, here we are. I think this is year five of Harbaugh, maybe six, five or six. Anyway, and he's beat Ohio State three times in a row. And it's like, well, yeah, it took him a while to get his guys, to get his system in place, to get the right people there. And But nobody's patient enough. Everyone just wants me, 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 instant results. That's for sure. Well, now they have the NIL. How much do you think the NIL oh. affects that? Like. That's got to be a big thing. Like it was Jim Mora. He's the Connecticut coach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was in an interview, I think, this last week. And they're like, you want us to go beat Syracuse? You want us to go beat Rutgers? You want us to go beat these schools? He goes, look, if you're not going to pay these kids to come play to beat those schools so we can get the quality of player, then we're not beating anybody. Yeah. Like nothing's yeah. happening. Yeah. It's crazy. I'm glad that I'm, I'm glad the kids are making money. You know, I mean, 
the, the school should, I don't know. There, there's a lot to it and I'm not in tune to everything, but I know the schools make a shitload of money off of these kids. And so it's good that they can, you know what I mean? Get a little, little piece of well, the pie. It was bullshit before we'd play video games with their numbers and players that had their stats and all this stuff. And it's like, no, you don't get any money. And it's like, wait a second. That's them though. Like, yeah. you, I'm sure you're familiar with the Fab Five. They're selling Chris Weber and Jawan Howard and Jalen Rose jerseys without their name on it. And it's like, wait, where the fuck's our money? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The Johnny Menzel. Absolutely. Have you guys watched the Johnny Menzel documentary yet? Yeah. yeah so good. I would have been getting 30 Gs, too, to write sign autographs. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> he, he knew how much he was worth. He wasn't stupid. He wasn't stupid. I mean, he was, because if he would have actually tried, that motherfucker would have been good at football. <laughs> yeah. Uh, was it McDaniel that said uh, the Dolphins coach? It's like he knew nothing. There was no film time log. There was no, he he literally didn't do film at all. He, he just, literally won a Heisman trophy playing backyard football. Yeah. Like that's how gifted that kid was. That's insane. crazy. Hey, if you're an LSU baseball player, they pay you $500,000 $500,000 on top of your scholarship. Just if you're an actual scholarship player. So LSU's doing it right. That's why they're always the top. Seriously? Of the rankings. Yeah, um, who is telling me? I have a Holy fr- shit. Yeah, so I have a friend who, um, Tom Pagnazzi, who used to play for the Cardinals, is friends with John Daly, and one of John Daly's friend's son is going to LSU. And he was like, took a picture of his his signing letter, and it was on there, like, scholarship, and it was like showing him the payment details. And it was like $500,000 NIL deal on top of that. And so, pretty cool. Well, I mean, Shador is worth $6 million this year so far. Travis Hunter, I think, made four or five million. Golly. Uh, my Travis. question is, how much is the LSU baseball strength coach making? That's a right. great 100 question. Grand, maybe. Yeah. I could That's, look it up. I don't know. He could be he could be killing it. I don't know. Well, I know it's the Oklahoma State and Michigan are the two only ones that are a million dollars for the top position, which is crazy to me because those guys are making them so much money. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if they're doing it right, they're they're making the money and they're saving the money. Yeah, right. better 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 performance and less injury, less surgeries, bull, bullshit. You got to pay for it. Um, LSU assistant coaches Brian Pullen and Jacob, uh, four hundred and twenty five thousand dollars. That's the football strength coach. Um, also, oh no, that's the one of the assistants. His is six hundred and twenty five thousand. So. I would say, yeah, the baseball coach is less important. He does pretty well. Probably 250, I would say, ish. I don't know. Probably a little higher than what you were making, probably back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, he ain't starting out at 16K like I did my first year. <laughs> oh, my goodness. How do, how, do, uh, how do schools go about changing that? Because I see that posted all the time on social media, like people bashing schools about their job descriptions or their intern descriptions. And like they're partly right. Like it's hard to make a living off of that kind of money now in the world that we live in. But like, is it just like, we're just going to have to accept the fact that at these small colleges, it's never going to happen. And you have to get to the big universities to ever get paid for this kind of field. Or, I mean, that's why a lot of people have gone to the private sector. I feel like to try to make their money. I don't know, know, man. It's, you know, the problem is if you don't want to do it for 16 K there's, a hundred other guys that'll do it for that much. Yeah, that's or true. Or even less. Yeah. You know, it's just super watered down. You know, it's, I, don't, I don't know what the, the answer is. 
worst industries for that. I feel like everybody doesn't understand their value. And it's like, let's race to the bottom and see who can charge the least. That's actually yes. why I respect Elite FTS so much is Dave Tate's like, fuck you guys. Like, I'm going to give you a quality product and I'll give you all this information for free, but there's got to be a way to keep the doors open. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's like our, a lot of people think our stuff's like real expensive. Um, but it's like in the commercial side of things, I think we're actually probably a little closer to the bottom as far as pricing goes, like as far as what we charge, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? For like, so like for home gym stuff, it's probably upper tier, you know what I mean? Probably a little bit on the higher, like commercial side. I think our price ranges are kind of, you know, a little bit lower. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. At least very competitive nonetheless. And then you guys, like you're saying, you could put your logos on it and all this other crazy shit that gives you your own brand. I always hear Dave talk about that. It's like when you walk in the weight room, it's a different thing than, just a weight room a lot of times like you can turn it into something much bigger yeah yeah that's that's what's um i'm really trying to get out more locally like we don't <clears throat> i don't want to talk bad about any 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 uh any competitors <clears throat> but like <laughs> in my in my area like people don't understand like you go to a lot of weight rooms and you don't see a lot of the customization and stuff yeah. You know what I mean? So like if you can get stuff with your logos and stuff and get the kids a little bit excited about coming in here, there's an option. You know what I mean? So I'm, yeah. I'm we're starting to we're starting to hit a couple of local schools and stuff. So it's, it's I'm pretty excited about it. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get better stuff out there just locally. I feel like I feel like New York's a little bit behind the times in this stuff. So trying yeah, to that and the coaching, true, right? you know what I mean? Trying to trying to get us up to speed. <laughs> I'd call it the organ effect. They they do it to the best out of any school. Like here, we're gonna give you guys ninety five different uniforms, and those kids love it, which makes no sense to me. But oh man, you, you play better. Who cares? That's when I was a kid. I was like the always the biggest question. Like if Alabama and Oregon offered you a scholarship, where would you go? Would you go to Alabama or would you go to Oregon? Because like Oregon had all the sweet stuff, and I was like, I go to Oregon. I think because it's so cool to play for Oregon. I feel like. And they were good at the time. I mean, they were like a national competitor at the time. But I mean, then they got smacked by all the SEC schools when they got to the bowl games. But it was like their stuff is so cool. Like what you're talking about. You're always like, what's Oregon's going to come out with? What's Oregon going to come out with? You know, so I totally get that. Yeah. Yeah. They were the first like uh, they had like the barber shop in their new facility. All this yeah. crazy shit. I feel like they were the first school to kind of do that. So. Gosh. I don't know. It's it's not the way it should be. Like that stuff shouldn't matter. <laughs> right. But it does fucking, to kids. It's the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the way it is. It's it's Damn always kids. A, yeah. Kids are always like what's biggest and best and flashiest. You know. I would have yeah, I would have been really prideful of like if I'd have walked into a weight room and saw just the school color, the look, like you're talking about. Like that would have been so freaking sick to me. I'd have been like, man, I love being in this weight room, but. There was a new high school when I was in high school that we went and played, and they were fucking terrible at sports, but their weight room looked like a collegiate weight room, and we were all so fucking jealous. We're like, are you kidding me? You have these fucking racks with platforms attached to them, and you have the logo on the platform, yeah. and you guys have everything color-coded, and like, like that looks fucking sweet. Meanwhile, we got, you know, all kinds of weird random. Like, we had a jammer. That was pretty cool. <laughs> the old jammer, jammer, baby. Yeah. Old jammer. I used to love the jammer. That was fun. It's a pretty good piece for football players, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, if you do it right. Like, I was a dumbass and just would 
put too much weight on it and hammer it. And it, I'm pretty sure it beat the shit out of my shoulders, <laughs> but it was, you know, if you like, if you had somebody showing you who knew what to do with it, it I think it's yeah, a good piece. Now, Nate, being a conjugate guy, were, have you been powerlifting before? I feel like you've been powerlifted, right? Me? Yeah. Yeah, um, I'm done now. <laughs> I ran it till the fucking wheels fell off. <laughs> Did you do the multiply thing, like like the true conjugate way? Yep. Yeah, that's you know that kind of was you know early two thousands. So like when I got interested in powerlifting, that's what most of the stuff was, and so that's the direction I went. And um, I had a lot of fun. it was fun, man. It was looking back, it was a lot of fun. I wish I would have been a little more patient. Um, most of my injuries were because I was trying to be strong when I didn't need to be, you know what I mean? I always, like, I was kind of, we were talking about the adrenal stuff, always go, 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 go. You know what I mean? Never took my foot off the gas. So I tore my rotator cuffs off and, you know, some, got some holes in my hamstring and dumb shit like that. So I can't do it anymore, but yeah, it was, it was fun. Um, it was a good time. I like your, (laughs) I like your picture in the book with the Jim Windler cloak. That's pretty good. You want science and studies? F you. I've got oh, blood yeah. and scars and vomit. <laughs> yeah. I that, So that sat on my desk for years. Um, awesome. Just, you know, because like, not to bash research, but. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> just, you know, it, the research is 10 years behind what most of the, the coaches know already. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's to me, the stuff has to be proven and, and that's how you figure out what works and try it out. And, you know, so that was, yeah, that, that's a cool quote. Jim's got some good ones. He's got some bangers. He, yeah. He's one of a kind. <laughs> yeah, that's He's sure. absolutely <laughs> one of a kind. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Um, I was going to ask you kind of just a general question about, I was always curious about why you did the structuring of your programming the way you did. Cause you always, um, I think you did max effort. Let me check to make sure. Max effort lower, and then you would do your two dynamic days, uh, one on Tuesday, one on Thursday, and then you would do a max effort at the end of the week. Whereas you know, typical Westside template or any most people go max effort, max effort, and then dynamic, dynamic. So why did you choose to, or why was that benefiting your populations to kind of put the dynamic effort in the middle of the week as opposed to after both of your max effort days? Um, I was just trying to space it out more. Yeah. Um, Cause for a while we were doing max effort, max effort. And then we come in for those next two workouts for the week and we were smoked. Yeah. I was like, let's spread this out. And then we would typically put uh, max effort lower on Friday. Okay. So they could have the weekend to chill out and recover from that. And then not have this shit kicked out of them all week Yeah. from doing max effort lower on Monday. Did the, yeah, it, was just, it was just for recovery with dynamic being like so much of a metabolic stimulus and like the high repetition stuff and the lower rest time stuff. Did you see him recover better when you switched to that dynamic work uh, on, well, I guess it'd be Tuesday, Thursday, going into their squat session on Friday also, where they kind of a little bit fresher? Yeah. So That's like it. Thursday would typically be speed upper. Right. You know, so you can come in and do your work and you still do relatively high volume on your upper body and still be good to go for squats on, on Friday for sure. the most part. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed, it seemed to work pretty well, but yeah, we were, so it was like me and, uh, me and an intern were actually training together 
and we would go max effort, max effort early in the week. And every, you know, coming into train every Thursday was a chore. Yeah. Dude, maybe we should not do the max effort that way. He's like, hey, let's try it, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. It was just, it was kind of kicking the shit out of us. Yeah. Well, it makes sense too, with as much as on this kid's schedules in college and things like that too. And, um, yeah, giving them that weekend just to like, hey, chill out a little bit. That's, that's probably a nice feeling. Did you guys, you probably, were you guys the typical had to train at 6 a.m.? Or did you have so many groups coming through? Were you the after? most of their classes were done and things like that. Did you kind of wait or did you see better results doing that? Um, we had, everybody did it different. Certain teams would come in early because um, they wanted to train together. We had a few teams who would let their kids float in throughout the day. Yeah. So we might have track kids training with wrestling at one point, which I, I like, I like kind of having that community thing and seeing what other teams are doing. And sure. maybe a wrestler comes in and sees this track girl, pin pulling three plates and is like, I better step my fucking shit up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's a little bit chaotic, but with the kids we had, um, they were pretty, they were bought in and did a pretty good job. So it was like me and my couple other coaches, we could kind of float around the room and coach and, you know, the workouts were on the board and they kind of did their shit. And then yeah. usually we'd have some later afternoon teams or nighttime teams that would train, train together. So it was, it was all over the place. Um, I'm not a big fan of training early in the morning. You know, it's, it's, it's tough for the kids to get up. It's sure. tough for them to get going. But you know, that being said, like baseball used to train at six 45 and they did a great job. Ugh. They came in and fucking smoked it every day. I don't know if they were blowing lines out in the hallway or something. Flashbacks. But... That's flashbacks for me and <laughs> freaking 6am workouts. God, I hated it. But anyway, yeah, right. <laughs> now you work out at 4am, Nathan. So oh, I don't, I don't work out at 4am. I get up at 4am. I work oh, out around right. like eight o'clock. That's usually, 839. That's kind of my go-to, but I would lose all my clients if I didn't work out first thing in the morning. Just hate. Yeah, hate. I mean. Yeah, I'm fucking no. It would not be good. <laughs> not be good at all. Oh, man. You, gotta, you gotta get some gas out of the tank before you start dealing with people. Yeah, 110%. That's awesome. 110%. <laughs> when you're working with these kids, Nate, what do you think are like some of the key factors into creating that good competitive culture inside the weight room? Because, like, I help a powerlifting group or a barbell club for CU. Fuck me if I can't figure out how to get these kids motivated yet. <laughs> that's, that's a tough one. Though. What's the secret sauce? <laughs> so- yeah, what's the secret sauce? <laughs> uh, I, I don't, like, I don't know. I've been lucky to work with good groups of kids, you know. Um, for the ones that don't, that aren't motivated, I think you got to kind of slow cook it and show them like we talked about over celebrating everything before, maybe you have to do a little bit of that in the beginning to kind of get them in. You know what I mean? Like celebrate small victories um, and try to show them some successes that they're having and how it's correlating to what they're doing in the weight room. Um, for lack of a better term, kind of baby them along at the beginning. You know what I mean? And the, you know, just, hopefully that will get it. That's, that's the only, only way I've been able to do it. You know what I mean? Um, men's basketball was a tough team for me to get through to. <laughs> you're laughing because everybody has that fucking problem because they don't want to train. Um, what? I didn't say that. I uh, wish I would have <laughs> known about training when I played basketball. I probably could have played in college if I would have fucking known, but no, that wasn't a thing in basketball. You don't work out. Yeah. You, yeah, it's ridiculous. But I like towards the end, I kind of I was like, okay, I'm gonna because I wanted to train up here because 
their genetics and their athletic ability, they could have trained up here. They, they're not into it. So we had to train them down here. And I, towards the end, I was like, okay, we can go down here because we can do, I got, I accepted it. I was like, okay, we're going to train down here, but you know what? If we train down here, that's better than where they're at now. Yeah. So I can take them here and we can slowly raise them up. And maybe in a couple of years, we'll have them up here. But it's still better than, you know, what they would be doing. So I hate to say lower your expectations, but maybe kind of meet, meet them where they're at. Yeah. You know, and hopefully you'll start slowly getting some buy-in. But it's, it's, it's tough. How quickly did you, you? Oh, go ahead, Alex. Go no, ahead. you go ahead, Nathan. You're good. Okay. Go ahead. How quickly did you transition new players into your system? Did it take them a while, or did you just throw them in the fire with the groups that were already kind of familiar with how they how you do things and ran things? Did you just throw them in with those experienced peoples, and it was kind of sink or swim, or did you you kind of put them all in one group and train them together? And then once they have the hang of it, then you kind of let them go free, or how do you implement like freshmen, incoming freshmen coming into that situation? It was almost the same question um, that I had. <laughs> so we th- we throw them in but the newbies just do dynamic effort work for a month gotcha so no max effort work for a month you're going to do the dynamic effort when the older guys are doing max effort work so you'll do dynamic effort twice a week and it's lighter weight learn the technique move it fast do your right. accessories and then you get a training effect and you get to see the older guys going so you learn it and then like within a month usually off and running yeah you now, said it now the hardcore West side people, you have to have percentages to do dynamic work. So are you just basing it off of what you're seeing speed wise with them and stuff like that? Is that how you're doing it? Like maybe just everyone starts with red bands and gets an idea that way, as far as using the accommodating resistance and things like that. Yep. Yep. Just eyeball it. Um, so like, for example, like women's swimming, most of the room can probably go with like a 10 on each side of the bar for their dynamic squat sets to start out. You might have a couple girls going with like a 25 on each side. You know what I mean? And then over the course of that month, just kind of gradually creep them along. And then you can start doing some heavy stuff and then you can kind of get, you don't need percentages. When, are you using the traditional rep schemes for that stuff? Or are you doing like more of the five by five stuff that like West side transitioned to for like conditioning purposes and stuff? Usually just the traditional. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, it's not a bad idea to do fives either though. Right. You know what I mean? That's fine. But we usually just stuck to the threes and twos for the most part. Do you think all this variability is why people have such a problem with the conjugate system? Because there is no, like, you have to do it this way? Yeah. People don't want to think. Sure. You know what I mean? They want they want everything. That's okay. I get it because you're trying to make it as simple and efficient as possible. Right? But I think people get in and they start overthinking things. And it kind of, like you said, it kind of mess them up. Yeah, you, sure. you you talked about in the book, don't you use you liked using bands to kind of teach them the technique first, just because of it keeping the bar in place. Um, was, I think that was in your book. I think I remember reading about how you used bands early on, kind of like what you were saying with the dynamic work, but it was more for technique building more than anything um, to get them into that right those right positions before you ever went on to that max effort work. Is that kind of why you use the dynamic effort that way? Yeah, yeah. So it's. Yeah, like once they're tech, usually after like week one, we'll put some accommodating resistance on. You just have to scale it to their strength level. Right. Um, Because to me, it teaches them to accelerate the bar, which is one of your big things you want them to learn. You know what I mean? So if if they're they're technically okay, I think you can put it on early 
early on in their training. Right. There's, yeah. But what about all the boo birds that say that bands don't make you any faster? Uh, keep doing <laughs> that shit and then we'll, we'll kick your ass when we play you out of there. Well, and how many times do you think when people mess with those bands, they don't get like Louie was big on this, right? You got to relax and let the band push you down so you can come up faster. Like if you're fighting it all the way down, yeah, you're not going to get any faster that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's like anything else. You got to do it right. You know, and, you know, you, you may have to, like I said, scale it back a little bit. I remember <laughs> the first time I did bands with a track track team. We had a really, really strong girl who should have been on average bands. Like her strength level said average bands. So I put average bands on and she stood up with that bar and she took one step back and she just dropped the bar off. She goes, oh, hell no, I'm doing this and just dropped the bar and oh. smashed down. I almost lost. I almost blew a gasket like I was got really pissed off. <laughs> Jeez. I went over the corner and calmed myself down. And, you know, it could, because it was such a shock to her. You know what I mean? Like, she thought it was going to be Epi Bar, and it's 150 pounds of tension jerking her out of the rack. And she was just like, uh uh-uh. uh. So, you know, you got to. <laughs> I did that to Even some if older ready guys. For big bands, they might not be. Yeah. I did that to some older guys on a max effort day. I was like, well, we'll just put, you know, what is the, what are the rogue black ones? I think those are the average bands, be what they are. And the first guy unracked it and he sat on the box and it fucking dumped him over the back. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you got to brace. Like, what are you doing? You can't relax. <laughs> that, like, that, bracing's yeah. really important. First time. Like, he was laughing. He thought it was hilarious. But I was just like, holy shit. Because like, I had him unrack it with no weight and just the bands. So I'm like, let's try the bands. See how they feel. And it yanked him down and pulled him back. And I was like, oh, oopsies. That's it's I, your light sets like your heavy sets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the same ex- the same thing that happened to me the first time I did West Side Blues with a squat. I had a box and it just ripped me to the box, and I was like, oh, like I just laughed because I'm sitting there on the box, like, oh, good god. And luckily, like it was really obviously not a lot of weight, but it was like, holy cow, those things will steal your soul if you're not careful. Yeah, man. That's and that, like that's why. I, excuse me. That's why I started using, like, I, when I was powerlifting, you know, I, I wasn't sure the science behind it or the exact reason or whatever, but I knew, like, when I put those bands, after a band cycle, I felt like I could just fucking crush, like, blow through a wall, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I was like, this has to work for, this has to work for kids, too. We'll just scale it down. What, what level of proficiency do you think athletes should be? like at or like what are your kind of some of your kpis do you think that people should be at um start implementing bands or chains because some people implement them really early and they just get them going on it right away some people kind of wait and they have certain metrics they want to get them to before they start throwing on the bands like what do you what would you say to someone that wants to implement bands and chains and like when or how they should start implementing them just like make sure they're technically sound you know make sure they can sit on the box without smashing down and crushing the box and rolling their back over, uh, make sure their knees are staying back. You know, they're not shooting their knees way out over their toes. Like, like if you go look in the book, like all the little coaching cues, if the kid can do most of those and look pretty good squatting then go ahead and throw the, go ahead and throw the chains on. (laughs) Send it. Here we go. Yeah. Send it. Let's go. (laughs) Do you you like to progress them with like chains first and then bands because the chains is more natural 
for like especially raw lifting for an example yeah yeah usually we would put chains on first and then you know wait a couple months before we got got the bands on them yeah were you a big proponent of reverse banding stuff as well or no uh, the kids were <laughs> baseball oh, love guys it. love reverse band day. Love it. Yes. <laughs> um, not a ton. Um, and honestly, not to say because it's bad, it's just it's kind of a pain in the ass to set up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then it like to me, it can kind of go too far. Like you're giving the kid too much extra weight if you don't have it set up right. In that, you know what I mean? Um, I was a bigger fan of the accommodating resistance. I started, uh, I took uh, Donnie Thompson's squat cycle because previous to this, we weren't doing a lot of accommodating resistance on max effort day, but I ran his squat cycle and it really helped me. Then we tried it with our throwers. It it seemed to really help them. So like kind of later on my last couple of years, we were doing a lot more accommodating resistance on their max effort stuff, which seemed to help. So that was that was something that, that kind of uh, helped the kids out. I think having to push all the way through and maybe getting the extra stimulus of more weight up top maybe helped them learn how to push harder. But I was going to say I messed also. with it this year, and that seems to be a huge game changer. Like the the stress is not as high, and then when your nervous system is still feeling that tension at the top of the same amount of weight, now all of a sudden when you drop down to straight weight, like it's not as big of a deal. Like I noticed when I went into prep for my meet. I did a bunch of accommodating resistance on max efforts. Then I switched to straight weight, getting ready for the meet. And it was like the first cycle, my knees weren't very happy because I squat like an Olympic lifter. So like at the bottom, they were a little pissed off. But then after that first one, I knew the weight was going to be there again. It was just everything moved faster. Yes. Yep. Yep. And you're taking stress off your body in your most vulnerable position. Right. For like maybe not, maybe not what you want for a power lifter or you can go too far with that. <clears throat> But for athletes, you know, to me, that makes total sense. Um, in your book, sorry, uh, you, you talk about um, squatting above parallel for athletes. So, you know, like Westside, they use a traditional like 12 inch box or they go really deep with their squat. Why, why did you kind of leave it at like parallel? And why do you think that athletes needed to just squat to that parallel level as opposed to maybe get into a deeper position with their box squat? Because uh, I think it's, I think like a parallel squat is good enough for them. You know, not to say you don't do some low box or some deeper knee flexion stuff every once in a while, but to kind of keep the stresses and stuff off their body, I right. think parallels, you know, pretty, it's kind of just kind of been the standard, you know? Um, I'm not a fan of quarter squats because I don't think you get enough tissue length. And this is, I'm not a fucking scientist who did it, who cut out muscle bellies and studied this, <laughs> but like <laughs> to me, you have to have a certain amount of glute lengthening to get the maximal contraction coming back the other way. So like to me, like the quarter squats, and I understand that you probably in a lot of your sporting stuff, you only go to the quarter squat position. Yeah, I get that. But I think if we're trying to stimulate tissue, getting somewhere in the ballpark of parallel is probably most of the time best for your kids. Okay. I was going to say, do you think because the athletic stance isn't parallel that people think that the score squat or quarter squat should be feasible and like decent enough? Whereas like if you read the literature, things like isometrics will work within 15 degrees. So if you go below where they're playing and they get super strong there, 
Well, it's probably going to carry over to being even stronger where they need to be, right? Yeah. 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 Why not? You know, like, sure. Okay. Let's say, let's assume that I do play in a quarter squat position most of the time. What happens when you go deeper than that? Right. You're going to be fucked if you never yeah. train that. Screwed. Yeah. Did you did you did you guys exclusively use the box or were you I mean did you free squat your guys very often or your athletes very often I mean was it just the box a lot of free squats I mean what did you guys typically stick with Almost all box just it was simpler they don't need to go to a meet and free squat um so it was unless a sport coach wanted to or kind of demanded a free squat then we really didn't didn't mess with it the stress, like I like what you said, it just keeps the stress off their body too, especially with how much they're being asked to do year round as athletes in their sport. You need to got to keep them, got to keep them on the field. So I, I do like that aspect of the box for sure, as long as they're doing it correctly, not slamming on it like you see a lot of wonderful box squad videos. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like as long as your indicators and their performance is going up, why do I need to free squat? It's just yeah. more of a pain in the ass. Got to win. It's all about wins. That's for sure. Now, I'm an asshole, and I haven't read your book yet. Are the coaching <laughs> cues for the box squat, are they the traditional west side box squat that you're having all these kids do? Because, like, a lot of people will squat to a box. That's not a box squat, right? Yeah, it's not quite as, I wouldn't say, 100% west side. Like, I'm not having them sit and roll and release the hips and then come back up. I don't. That's a slippery slope. Uh, but we do sit, we pause, kill all the momentum, and then have to go from a dead stop to as fast as they can, like a first step in 99% of athletics, right? I want to, I have to be kind of still, and then boom, I got to go. And it's straight so, yeah, up, right? Want... Like you're not letting them lean forward into it too much, and they're trying to really drive with their feet, like jumping off the box kind of? Yeah, yeah. There's some torso, you know, some natural torso lean is okay. That's fine. <clears throat> but yeah. Pause, go. Their feet are not Chuck Vogelpole wide, but they're wider than most people squat. Because for to me, for to get a lot of the benefits of the box squat, you want your feet out out wide enough where I can have that lateral pressure of pushing. I can feel that lateral pressure of driving my feet out when I go to stand up. Because that's what's going to – we talk about glute activation. If you just push out on your feet, your ass turns on or your glutes, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> try, I'm and trying to make it dummy proof for the kids, you know? And the carryover you see with the box squat is because it's predominantly posterior chain that, as far as athletics goes, has a huge carryover compared to like a normal, like Olympic lifting squat is not going to be as posterior chain, right? It's going to be more quad dominant, which is not as much of a carryover for most sports, right? Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, like I, I try to be careful with this because, like, when you play, your knees are going over your toes all the time, right? Um, but here's another point. We always look at, we look at that uh, slanted sprint diagram that everybody talks about. If you actually look at that, the knee is right over the ankle. Like, the knee is out in front because the guy is tilted forward. But if you actually look at the picture, there's his knee is directly over his ankle, like on a box ball. So that's, yes, squatting that way puts more stress back into our posterior chain, which is what we want, um, because they're weak there. So to me, it was like trying to bring up a, something they're very deficient at, 
you know, and then we would do like knee over toe stuff on their accessory, maybe, or, you know, backwards sled drives or something like that. So, you know, yeah, I think there's a lot of carryover because they're so weak in their posterior chain, you know, and I try to keep, I would, I was trying to, my thought behind that too was their knees get beat up enough when they play. Let's not do that while they have 500 pounds on the back. Right. Well, and then I think that's where the carryover comes in. Also with locomotion too, right? Because the hamstrings and glutes are the drivers in locomotion. Like people don't realize that, yeah, the hips are pulling your leg up, but once you plan in the ground, all that shit that's pushing you forward is pulling it. And getting people to understand that concept is a pretty rough one usually. Yes. Like I, I just watched the uh, Bye Bye Barry documentary. Mm-hmm. And the whole time I'm just like staring at his ass. I'm like, how did that guy build like those glutes and hair? Like it was, it was just visually not right for his body to have their like long. I'm, t- I'm on, you're talking about Barry Sanders' ass. <laughs> just like, like abnormally long and like wide glute. Like you look at his waist and it's like this, but his freaking glutes are just like this long, like, I don't know. It was, it was, it was good weird. insertions. Yeah. This, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like you look at sprinters and they got a giant ass sticking out the back of them. That's they're so fast. Right. Right. Well, and yeah. then jumpers, same thing. Like all, all athletes, if they're really athletic, their posterior chain is well developed. There's just really no way around it. And that's where, I think Louie was on to so much stuff that people didn't understand. I agree. Yep. Yeah, 100%. 100%. But he's a power lifter, so, you know. Yeah, it only works for power lifting. Only works Did you power. ever get to go Don't visit Louie? Yeah, I met him a couple times. Um, I never lifted down there because every time I was down, like, both times I had a meet the next day or whatever. So, yeah, I did. like, I visited it a couple times or whatever. But, yeah, I didn't. I, like, a lot of people think, some people think I used to train there at Westside. I'm like, no. <laughs> you ever get and to train with Dave life. since you, you know, your coworkers? Uh, no, he's not like whenever I've been out there training, he's not really training because there's other people out there, and he's, you know, when he trains, I think he likes to kind of just go with his guys and stuff. So I don't know. He'd kick my ass anyways. I don't want to get into that right now. <laughs> <laughs> you listen to that guy. He says he's not even strong. He's just explosive allegedly, and I'm like, that's kind of the same thing, Dave. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> Gotta be explosive. Yeah, I, he'll like he'll shit talk himself like those like those squats that he does. He's like, oh, it's a high box reverse band or whatever. But I'm like, dude, you're fucking, I don't know, fifty two or whatever, and you got eight nine hundred pounds on your back. Like that's I don't Jesus care how Christ. high your box is or that's fucking you know that's that's impressive. Well, it's, I mean, so you being probably a similar way, how do you, how do you find an outlet for that place that you go to, to do those things? Right. Cause you're talking about, you don't power lift anymore, but I know you have to have something to do that because once you get addicted to doing that, there is no other like replacement really. Is there? No, no, it's, uh, and it's, I'm, I'm struggling with this because I kind of, I've been banged up for a couple of years. And I'm just now starting to do the things I should have done a few years ago to get get myself healthy. Like I got a hamstring thing going on right now where like two plates is the max it can handle. Cause it's I let it go for so long and didn't step back and rehab type thing where now I'm having to go way back. So it's like there's you can't you can't replace it because there's it's different. You know, it's cool to lift weights and like I'm starting to enjoy like 
getting more tension in my muscles and feeling like I'm building some tissue and stuff. Like that's cool, but there's nothing like pushing on six plates. Like your life depends on it. And you know what I mean? Like smashing, smashing the bar up. Like it's just like playing football or like if you're sports basketball, there's nothing like the actual, the actual thing. So I'm, I'm trying to find positive, other positive things about my training, but it's really not duplicated. You know, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you right now, Nate, there's nothing in basketball that is as challenging as getting under a fucking squat. So <laughs> like that shit is, I think squats are the worst. I hate them. Yep. They're the literally the worst fucking thing in the world to me because it always feels heavy and I'm not even that strong yet, but I've gotten to the point where like you just get to a weight and it's like, I don't know. It fucking moved. Like, I hope it moved fast. I need a video to see because I can't tell. It's just like, it's heavy. <laughs> they kind of, all, at some point, they kind of all feel the same. Yeah. Yeah. It's, like, <laughs> yeah. it's just like, what the fuck? And people are, oh, that moved good. I'm like, okay, cool. Thanks. I, I have no idea. I can't tell because it's the same amount of effort every time. It just sucks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same level of suck every time you can end in the park. Yeah. What, yeah. what were some of your best numbers in a, a meet that you got, ended up getting when you competed? Um, my best, my, so my best, this is on multi-ply. Um, my best squat was a thousand best bench was seven fifty. I think my best pull was seven fifty. Yeah. fuck, You benched as much as you deadlifted. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I actually, I actually fucking, so I benched 800 in the gym going into one meet off a of one board, but seven fifty is the best I ever gotten to meet. Um, and I had, I had an 800 pound deadlift past my knees twice and my hand opened up on both of those. Mm. Yeah. So I really like, I, I really wish I would have totaled 26 and I really wish I could have hit an 800 pound deadlift. Um, but like 2450 is my best total. Jesus. Um, I didn't have my best list at the same meet. So that's what weight class are you in for these numbers? Uh, I was a light 308. So I was usually around like 295 or so. Um, yeah. And then shit started falling apart. So just <laughs> when you would deadlift, would you ever use the wrist wraps like Dave talks about doing where you wrap the fuck no. out of them so you can't open your hands? No, I didn't. Uh, I wonder if that would have helped you. Yeah, I don't know. You, so what the here's I figured out what the issue I used to go with an underhand. So I go over under grip, right? And my left, I used to go with my left hand. It was my underhand. And I kept, it kept opening up. And I found out later I have like a, a labrum issue in my shoulder in that shoulder, which I think was the issue with my grip, not working correctly. So I went over to my right hand to be my underhand. And in training, I was doing some weights. Like I was holding on to some shit that I, you know, I could pull, I could hang on to 800. Like I was doing some big numbers on reverse band and stuff, but what happened then I tore my right supraspinatus off. And then the, in the same week, I, so I couldn't squat with a torn supraspinatus. Like we were benching and went pop, pop, pop. I didn't really know exactly what happened, but I knew something happened. I knew I couldn't squat. So next workout we're doing, we're doing deadlifts against bands. Uh, and I had that right hand on my underhand grip. So I'm, pull in and I'm straining on a weight and it starts to open my fingers up mm. and I was like, fuck you. And I closed my fingers and then I tore half my bicep off. Oh, <laughs> it goes, pop, pop, pop. <laughs> oh. oh no. So yeah. So I got my grip figured out. Then I just fucking trashed my right arm and no. that was kind of the end of that. 
What's it like having the pounds on your back? Because I know everyone will say it's the equipment that makes it so you can do that, but I really don't. Think, how do you how do you hold the thousand pounds on your back? It's <clears throat> same as five hundred. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. It's just you just get used to it, you know. And um, I don't know. It's cool. It's fun. I wish I could. I, I only did it once. I wish I could have. I wish I could have gotten it a few more times. All right. How many people in the world have ever even done it once? Like a hundred, maybe. Like that's fucking crazy. Yeah, I don't know. More than uh, used to. I know it's more well, common than it used to. You know what I mean? It's still fucking insane. Like I did that. You literally could die under a thousand pounds. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. no problem. <laughs> you see, you saw that video of the guy that died with like four hundred five on his back, right? Like, the spotters just let him fold up and break his neck. I didn't crazy. see that. I don't yeah. think. What the heck? You haven't seen that, Nathan, over in the I, Middle East? I don't want to see that. Nope. It I'm looks good. like nothing happened. He rolled it off the front of his head and then it fucking killed him. Gosh. Yeah, I try not to watch that shit. Yeah, <laughs> I try not to either, but you know, so it's like that fucking West Side versus the world. I've watched it so many times and it only until the other day I never saw the Ed Cohen part. I was like, motherfucker, that's terrible. Like yeah. he's got 900 pounds on his back and his fucking knee just goes. Ugh. Like, ugh. Or like yep. I'm sure everyone's seen the Franco Colombo World Strongest Man fridge run. That thing's disgusting. I don't think I've seen that actually. You've never seen that, Nathan? I don't think I want to. The way you're talking. And back in the 70s, bodybuilders were fucking athletes. They weren't just bodybuilders. And Franco Colombo's running with a fridge on his back and he just snaps his fucking tibia. Oh. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. I, uh, I watched, uh, I was watching, I think in high school on world's strongest man, they were doing arm wrestling and the dude's oh, arm snapped. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not arm wrestling anybody. Yeah. That's I was, like a bigger nasty. guy in high school. Oh. Yeah, fuck that. Nope. Okay. Right. Yeah. I have a friend that does that competitively at a pretty high level. And I'm like, you're, you're a psycho. No, thanks. Probably doesn't train very well for it either. There's the training for arm wrestling is so bad for most people. Mm-hmm. Like they just yeah. do more arm wrestling movements. It's like, wait, what? Jeez, Louise. Yep, crazy man. There's weighted footballs around. That's what we need to do. <laughs> there yeah, you go. Feels real good on your shoulder. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know why my arm hurts. Coach doesn't want me to bench anymore. My arm hurts. Right. But he's gonna throw me a hundred times a day. Yeah, you dealt with baseball players. Did you make them bench? Yeah. Is it a um, bar? Or did you use like the American bar type stuff? Uh, we straight bar bench, but like. We do a ton of variations, so um, we re- we do like a, a traditional bench press only like once a month. You know, either board press, floor press, incline. You know, so. Well, yeah, and if you don't have a crew to hold the board, you got those cool shoulder savers that you can buy from you, right? That's right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> those things are sweet. Head over to EliteFGS.com. Right. <laughs> don't worry, I'll plug them for you, Nate. You don't have to do it. I'm always trying to plug the guest stuff because I know they don't want to. Yeah, I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, those things are sweet. Now, you also are like the, the guru of variations as far as like exercise library stuff goes. Like, what are some of the, your favorite variations that you've discovered over the years that maybe most people don't even realize are applicable or? Have good carryover. Uh, I'll do one for each one. So, like for squat, a cool one is uh, hang your big chains, make your big chain a loop, and hang a few on the bar while you do squats because they'll swing like crazy, and you have to keep a straight bar path. Those are tough. Those are cool. Um, for bench, I like the giant camber bar 
with some chain on the on the sides. Uh, and that's another one you kind of if you if you a lot of people like to throw the bar over their face when they bench. So if you don't press in a straight line, that's going to swing all over the place. Um, and then what have I been doing for deadlift? That's a deadlift variation. Are you a big fan of rack pulls? Yeah. Um, anything against chains is is so that probably like good like pull versus chain would be a good one like a rack pull versus chain or whatever. Do you like to put it in the middle of the bar with all the chain, or are you putting them on the ends like when you do the bench and squats? Um, so if you're going sumo, it's better to put them in the middle because they'll go between your legs and won't get under the plates. But if you're so if you're conventional, you can actually put the chain like just outside of your hands, so they won't pile up underneath the plates. That's kind of that oh, kind I of thought idea about that. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Yep. Alex. Yeah, don't... those are, those are some of my go to for those threads. Hey. Well, Alex, do you have anything else, brother? I don't. I don't think so at the moment. Nate, anything else you want to share or talk about? Anything you uh, cover? I don't think so. I don't think so. Actually, I got to get my daughter to her game, so it's kind of good. We're running out of gas, I guess. Perfect time. <laughs> I mean, the universe works in mysterious ways, right? Episode forty. We're just fucking crushing it over here, and. You know, All anyone time, who wants to buy Elite FTS stuff, especially if you want a sweet custom rack like Nate has in the background here, give Nate a call. He'll hook it up. <laughs> we'll we'll put the link. We'll put the Elite FTS link in the description. We'll put Nate's contact info on there for you too. Um, yeah, and read Conjugate You, even though I have it. If so. if you are a coach, yes, if you are a coach in the private sector or especially in the high school setting, go read <laughs> Conjugate You. It will spark tremendous amount of ideas in your brain. So go check that out, Nate. We appreciate. You coming on today. We appreciate your time, man. We, we really do. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you guys having me, man. It was fun. Uh, wish, we, wish we could talk a little longer, but I got I got dad bus duties. I'm, I also, right I'm doing some online training stuff, too, so if people are looking for that, it's that's been going pretty well. So Sweet. Uh, nice. Lifters, athletes, weekend warriors, you know, all of all those guys have got, got you covered. You know what I like about that, Nate? You're the only other person outside of me that guarantees anything as far as your coaching goes. And people think I'm crazy. They're like, you guarantee? I'm like, yeah. Like, A, I'm going to work way harder, and they'll probably work way harder. So it's fine. Absolutely. Heck yeah. Yep. If I don't if I don't do my job, here, you know, yeah. it's on me. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Nate. Appreciate your time. Next time we'll set up a time where we have more time to, to bullshit. So. Yeah, did that on purpose, so you got to have me back on again. <laughs> there you go, yeah. <laughs> Round two, for sure. Yes. <laughs> All right. Cool, man. I appreciate you guys. Yep. Yes. Thank you very much, Nate. Have a good one. All right. Thanks. You too.